You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. We are inching closer to camp's opening. Yes, we're in uh, second week of July here. And a lot of stuff going on. We'll be talking about some other sports. We're going to talk about the top triplets in the NFL. We're going to talk about the Cowboys. Lo and behold, the Cowboys get on hard knocks. How did Jerry pull that one off? Uh, Euro 220s were into one team has reached the finals as we record. And then the NBA finals has started. First game one was last night. But uh, before we get to that stuff, let's bring on a guy that knows how to pull a rabbit from a hat. Let's go to our guest. Joining us now on Pros Like Us is the magician, yes, the one and only Daniel Smith, quarterback at Villanova. Daniel, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah, we're going to get this right out of the way. I'm sure you're used to it and, you know, the whole thing with the magician. We'll we'll just refer to it as the play because it's probably changed your life. I guess from the outside looking in, to us, it seems like it changed your life. The three of you that haven't seen it out there, you know, go to YouTube or Google, whatever, and, and see it. Uh, Daniel just made the, an amazing play last year that uh, still boggles my mind. How does it feel getting so much attention? I mean, it's Sports Center, Mahomes tweeted at you. What's the attention been like? Yeah, I mean, right after it happened, you know, a lot of it was more of a, of a surgence of, you know, people tweeting, tagging me. And- texting me, whatever it is, you know, for probably about a week, uh, that didn't really stop. But now as we're kind of looking back on it from a little more time, it's interesting to think about because it kind of tells what, what society is like now is you can go viral one minute and then a couple of weeks later, everyone just kind of forgets about it unless you do it again, you know? <laughs> well, I don't know if your coaches would like you to do it again. I mean, were you thinking like, oh, crap, as soon as you made that throw, coach is going to rip my head off if this gets picked off? Oh, as soon as I made the throw, I got up as quickly as I could to see where the ball was going to make sure I wasn't going to get my head ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> What's been like, I guess, the, other than like Mahomes tweeting at you, because I'm a big Chiefs fan, so we'll get that out of the way right right from the top. But what's like the craziest situation that, that's arisen from the whole thing? What experience have you had that's been like, wow, really? Um, I wouldn't say there's one individual instance. Um, the thing that's kind of weird to me now, I guess, is that, you know, if I meet somebody new or, like, if I meet a mutual friend, um, that's usually the first question that I get. Did you mean to do that? Or, oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess so. (laughs) I guess it's kind of crazy. But um, uh, that's the biggest thing is I think that everyone I meet that watches college football or college sports from here on out will probably ask me about that. How did your teammates and, and coaches react once you got to the sidelines? You know, I don't even remember. Um, I was kind of trying to figure out what happened at the same time as well. I mean, my coach basically came over and he was like, hey, nice play. But uh, if that had gone any different, you know, I'd probably be yelling at you right now. <laughs> but, I mean, other than that, it was it was fun. You know, I went on the sideline. I kind of looked at one of my uh, receivers that was one of my roommates last year. And I was just look, like, looking at him like, was that as crazy as it felt? Like, did that look as crazy as it felt? Because at the time, I didn't know if, 
it was really just me thinking it was it was more nuts than it was. You know, Lou called you a magician. Your improvisational skills were top notch on that play. Is that something you practice? I mean, how do you create plays out of nothing, or do you just have that sixth sense that you are kind of born with? I think it's more of a sense that you're born with. I think you can work on it like anything else. You can practice at it. Um, that was one of those plays where you, you know, just kind of reacted. And uh, I was fortunate enough that, that Charlie was right there and he made a play and, you know, it all worked out kind of perfectly, if you ask me. But, no, I mean, we, we practiced things, improvisational side, uh, but nothing quite like that. That would be an interesting practice to watch. <laughs> now, <laughs> we'll take you back a bit, Daniel. I mean, who got you into football? Like, how old were you? Yeah, so I don't know exactly who got me into it. I just remember when I was um, in third grade, I want to say I was nine years old, uh, I finally talked my parents into signing me up. And my mom told me all the way leading up to the first practice, I don't think you're going to like it. Like, I don't think – because I I played basketball and baseball growing up, so, you know, a little less physical sports. She didn't think I was going to like getting hit or I wasn't going to like hitting people or whatever it was. And after my first practice, I actually came back home and I – Mom, mom, oh, my God, I loved it so much. It was so much fun. Oh, man, here we go. It's kind of her reaction. <laughs> Were you always a quarterback? Did they put you a quarterback right away? No. So I started out playing uh, kind of everywhere. I remember that my first year I played, I think I was a backup center, backup tight end. I played linebacker, you know, nine years old, just trying to figure out who, who went where. But then the next year I played, I ended up playing quarterback, and I've played that ever since, with the exception of my ninth grade year, I played running backs. With that reaction you had after the first practice, Daniel, do you still feel that way? I mean, what is it about the game that gets you revved up and really, you know, you love it? Why you love it? I, I think it's hard to put into words why you love something that makes you feel a certain way. I mean, it, it's just awesome having a group of guys to, to go into a battle with. Um, and, you know, it's it's not life or death like like the military would be anything like that. But, you know, the camaraderie between us feels similar to the way that I, I see a lot of people in the, in the Army as Marines um, talk about brotherhood. And to me, anything that can replicate something like that is special. All right. Well, let's I guess we'll we'll fast forward a bit to high school, Tuscarora High School, the the Huskies. You made a couple of big runs in the playoffs. Uh we tried to give you a state championship, which they won the next year. So I'm going to have to get on my crack staff about that one. <laughs> but anyway, you did make those runs. Do you recall a particular moment or event, something that happened during your high school days that, that you still lean on to this day as a lesson that says, hey, I can I can get through this. I can, I can do this. It's funny you ask that. Like, today is a day that uh, there's a lot of negative and a lot of positive uh, memories from from this day exactly this exact date going into our junior year um, we had a special team we knew we had a special team and right before the season started one of our coaches passed away on, on July 7th back in 2014 we used that as kind of our our, our rally to, to come together and, and do something special and that year we actually went to the state championship and we ended up losing it his name was Adam Fortune everything that coach Fortune stood for and and praise and just the way he acted, all that. It's always been kind of a motivation for me to live that way. And he's always believed me to be to be a special uh, football player. 
even before my junior year of high school, really. So, um, you know, I just think about him and the belief he had in me, and that, that keeps me going. All right, so your first year now at, at Villanova, 2019, great year for you statistically, like 35 touchdown passes. You ran for 11, even caught one. Um, what was your favorite part of that season? Honestly, it goes back to the brotherhood. Um, that season we kind of came around this idea of 88 strong where, you know, we had 88 guys on a team, but, we, you know, we didn't need 95, 100 to keep up with the other teams that had more numbers than us. And, and to me, that's what made that season so special is, you know, we played for each other, we played hard for each other, we loved each other, um, and we're looking to, to bring that back in, in this fall and do something special with it. And last year was kind of weird. I mean, obviously, COVID, you only played four games, you were scheduled to play six, and, the, mm-hmm. I mean, the numbers weren't quite there. It just seemed like something was off. What do you think the biggest difference was between the year that you did so well, 19 to 20? I mean, I think the, the two biggest factors are preparation and focus. Um, you know, there was so much going on in that spring season around just the pandemic and other issues within uh, within our country. And I think for for some of us, you know, those things came to the forefront, and there were there was division, and not I'm not saying within our team, just just everywhere. And I think you know the ability to get back this summer and be back with our teammates and to have. The, the two, three months leading into the season and have camp together and, and do all the things that we did back in 2019 before the season started, that, that'll be uh, big for us to do the things we want to do this fall. Daniel, uh, please share with us your recruiting experience. I would assume you're one of those guys that kind of slipped through the cracks. And how did you wind up at Campbell University? Yeah, I mean, the recruiting process is different for everybody. For me, it was uh, a little more frustrating than I think it was for, for some others. But, you know, at the end of the day, right after my senior year, I didn't have any offers. And, and Campbell came in and offered me. And I also had an offer from St. Francis um, up in PA. Uh, when I went down to Campbell on the visit, you know, I just – I thought that was that was home for me. And, you know, what what the coaches stood for, what the, what the culture they were trying to build was, that's what I wanted to be a part of. You know, that, that felt like the best opportunity for me to – to have a chance to display my abilities and, you know, grow as a football player and as a student. And you set all types of records, right, during your retro freshman year. I mean, you just – you came out of nowhere that season. Yeah, um, I mean, we had a, a good offensive scheme in place for that year. And, uh, I mean, I, I ended up running the ball a lot more than I, I ever really expected to. But, I mean, it worked out. So you moved on from Campbell, and it, this is a question that, that I've had because you, it's kind of the way of the world now, just a new term, transfer portal. I mean, it obviously is a big deal in, in college sports. Can you explain how that works? I mean, it just sounds like this surreal, like, time-bending experience. <laughs> I can try. I was in the transfer portal before it was cool, so I, I might not have the Oh, okay. Experience. All right. Even when I went into it, there was still a lot of uh, question marks behind the, the nature of the transfer portal. Um, and, you know, it was kind of like figuring it out as you go. But once I got in there, uh, I had, I want to say, Wagner offered pretty early. And then I was talking to Villanova for about a month before I got up on campus. And then they finally offered, and I, I got into grad school here. I kind of knew that if, if I got the offer from Villanova and I got in, that that was probably the number one choice for me. 
Let's talk about your coaching staff. I mean, the people that have helped you grow as a quarterback, as a passer. There's uh, Coach Bowden. I mean, he used to be a star at Villanova, mm -hmm. a star quarterback. Mm -hmm. Now he's the offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach at the school. Explain the impact that he's had on you. From what I've heard from some of the guys who were here before I was here, is, you know, he just made the offense uh, dynamic again. We just come at you from so many different angles. And uh, him having played quarterback and having excelled at it and, and being in a position where, you know, I've, I've wanted to be in, he has a lot of a lot of good tips for you. Like, he makes it relatable for you. He makes it easier for you to understand. Um, and I think that is a special talent that he has. And, you know, he makes it fun for us. You know, it's, it's about us. It's, he doesn't try to make it about the plays or the coaches. He just wants us to go out there, have fun, and, and execute. Now, Daniel, when people hear Villanova, usually they're thinking, you know, basketball. Raleigh Massimino and that a great run they made and to win the championship in, I think it was 83, Jay Wright and what he's done for that program. But, you know, Villanova's, you know, Howie Long played there, Brian Westbrook, got to throw in a chief here, Tano Passigno played there, not with the Chiefs anymore, but anyway – Describe, I guess, Villanova football. What makes it a football school for you? The, the biggest thing for me is, you know, I mean, I see Tano every day in the summer. He comes by and still works out with our strength coach. I see uh, Brandon Hittner still comes by and works out. You know, a lot of the guys who graduated and went on to do other things and continue their football career in the NFL, um, they all come back and, you know, it's a, it's a brotherhood. It's they talk about Villanova being a network, and, you know, the Villanova network will take you places. You know, you'll be able to get jobs you want to get. But I think even in the football program, it's like a, it's almost a microcosm of the, of the bigger network that Villanova provides for you, and I think that's what makes it so special. Uh, due to the COVID situation, obviously a few of your teammates transferred before the, the season started in the fall in 2020. How tough was it losing a few of these guys, like Paul Gratton, offensive lineman and Chango Hodge, who was your favorite wide receiver in 2019. Yeah, I mean, all those guys are excellent football players. So anytime you lose um, somebody with that kind of football ability, and they're all great people. So, I mean, those are big losses, but uh, nothing that we can't overcome together. Um, I, I think that we'll see people step up. You know, we got a lot of young guys. Um, when I say young, I don't necessarily mean age young. But we do have a lot of football young guys, some – with limited experience, but I think you're going to see some guys get it going this year, uh, get it clicking, and they're going to figure it out and really have a big year. So who are a couple of those guys? Give us a couple of names that will become, you know, household names in 2021. A lot of uh, the people out there probably remember Jaron Hayek from his freshman year uh, in 2019. He had a pretty big year. Uh, he'll, he'll be back and, and ready to go, and I think he'll have another uh, really good year. I think Rajon Pringle will do a, a great job stepping in at X uh, where, where Shanga was and um, providing that production that, that we lost uh, with Shanga. And, and we have all types of guys in all positions that are going to step up. And I could sit here and try to tell you who I think is going to be what, but, um, you know, we still have a whole camp that people got to come in and prove themselves and, and earn the reps. So I think it's whoever really wants it the most is, is going to come in and, and take it. So let's set the record straight. It's not Changa Hodge. It's Shango Hodge. It's Shango, as far as I know. I don't. I don't want to be wrong and tell you that I'm right. <laughs>
You used to be his teammate, so I mean, I, I trust you in that regard. What can we expect from Villanova in 2021? What's what's going to be the main strength for this team? Yeah, I mean, we're we're hoping that it it is what it was in 2019. It's that that family that we uh, that we talk about so much because we know we have the talent to compete with the teams in our conference and, and around the country. But we think that the difference maker will be you know that unbreakable bond between us that. It keeps us going for each other. Like, so, you know, if you want to quit, you can't because the guy next to you is, is propping you up, not letting you quit. Daniel, we're curious. I mean, which team has been the toughest challenge for you guys in the Colonial Conference and why? I, I got to say JMU uh, just because they have been the uh, the pinnacle of the, of the CAA for the past few years. You know, they've been winning championships, and that's where we want to be. So there's a phrase, you know, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. So. They're, they're the ones that we have to overcome on the field and, and prove that, you know, this is our year. So we have labeled you the magician on this podcast, <laughs> but what have you been working on the most during this off season? What are you looking to improve? Um, just with a lot of the young guys, like I said, you know, the, the timing, the chemistry between us is, is going to be paramount. For me, I'm just trying to get better at, you know, my, my general knowledge of football, like the X's and O's, understanding situational football, and the, just the things that will make a difference within the game, not not necessarily the, the whole big picture, just some of the small details that lead to the big picture being better. Daniel, you mentioned family a few times when you're talking about your teammates. But how about your, your actual family? You had a brother, I guess, that played college baseball. Your sister played lacrosse collegiately. Who's the best mm-hmm. athlete in your family? You're going to get three different answers from all three of the kids. I would um, expect nothing less. <laughs> and if you ask my parents, you might not get an answer. I'm, I'm going to say me because, you know, I have to. That's great. But when's the last time you maybe played one-on-one against your brother or went uh, toe-to-toe with your, with your sister on the lacrosse field? I'll never went toe-to-toe with my sister. She'd probably – kick my butt in lacrosse if I tried to play against her and my brother I mean we used to play like basketball in the driveway and stuff growing up she's gotten kind of old now so you know I think I think wow. I got <laughs> all right kind of old all right okay I think that the challenge has been laid down I think we need your brother listening to the show He's got 10 years and two kids on me, so he probably won't disagree too much right now. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, last question before we get you out of here. We talked about the transfer portal, a big story in in the NCAA. Well, more recently, uh, it's the NIL opportunities, name, image, likeness. Have you thought about that, or has that been discussed on campus at all? For us, we've always kind of had – that thought in the back of our minds, even when we weren't allowed to profit off of our name, image, and likeness, you know, we've always kind of been curious of like, if we could, like, what would we do? But, you know, right now we're in the process of our coaches have been talking with administration. We actually have a meeting this afternoon to discuss um, some of the potential ways that we'll be able to benefit uh, from this. And I mean, I've, I've been thinking of things, but nothing really that's going to come into fruition anytime soon. I don't think. Somehow you can do something with that video. I mean, that's that would be a good start. Do you think it's it's good for college sports? Do you see any pitfalls? I mean, the the one concern I have is there's not really many rules. It seems like right now, so I don't I don't know if some of this stuff is going to be reined back a little bit in the future. 
how that might affect some of the things going on right now. I, it just seems like wow, well West right now. So I, I'm just curious to see how it kind of plays out in the next year or so, even though it, it won't really impact me too much. But I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing to allow uh, these athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness that they've been working hard to build for for years now. I mean, you talked about the brotherhood that you have in that locker room. You know, you guys are like a family. What if one or two guys get an opportunity, get some advertising, and get some money out of this? Is this going to cause resentment in the locker room? What do you think? Um, I think anytime uh, inequalities like that come about, there there's some resentment that lies within uh, the locker room. But I'm hoping that, you know, people see it as, you know, a blessing for their brother, that they're happy for them. And I think overall, as, as long as, you know, you don't think that you deserve something that someone else has and or whatever the case may be, that if you just are happy for them genuinely, uh, you don't really have to uh, worry about that. All right, Daniel, we are going to let you go. We appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for all of the candid answers. You want to give out your uh, social handles so people can find where your stuff's at? Yeah, um, on Instagram, it's uh, D underscore J Smith 12. And my uh, Twitter is uh, at D Ballin 4. D B A L L I N 4. All right, sounds great. Again, thanks for joining us, Daniel. Thank you for having me. All right, so that was Daniel Smith, quarterback of Villanova. Love having him on. All right, so let's get to the top triplets in the NFL. There used to be, I mean, I guess the the phrase was coined when Dallas had Aikman, Irvin, and Emmett Smith. But who can we point to that could even rival that? Alex, what, what, what do you have? I think I know what you have, and I'm pretty sure you know what I have, but let's let our fans know. Well, I mean, there there was a time when San Francisco had a pretty good triplet out there. Maybe it wasn't as, as huge as, as the Dallas Cowboys, but had Jerry Rice, and, you know, we had Steve Young, and we had Ricky Waters. I thought that was a pretty good triplet. Uh, I thought you were going to say Montana Rice and Roger Craig. Well, that too, that too. I was going to go back to a little bit further back because, I mean, the San Francisco 49ers have had a few back in the day, and... Uh, I mean, obviously the Cowboys kind of made that trendy, you know, triplets. But when we're talking about 2021, I had a hard time with this list because I felt like I want to explain it. And the reason why I had a hard time, because a lot of the teams, they have a very good two guys. Like they have a good quarterback and a good running back, but they don't have a good wide receiver. Well, they have a good wide receiver, they have a good quarterback, but they have a so-so running back. And that's what I kind of had a tough time with. I mean, do I elevate the, the guys that are great at quarterback and say at wide receiver, but have like an average running back? But because two of those guys are really good, am I going to elevate them into the top five? And I guess the the simple answer is I didn't elevate those guys. You, me, and Mahomes does not make up a set of the triplets. Yeah, unfortunately. I know you're going to put the Chiefs number five. I, I know you're going to five. Somehow I don't have five. Sneak I, have, I have three. Okay, that's what I came up with. Three that I can legitimately say is a, tr- is a true triplet. Well, number one for me, Lou, are the Titans. Do you have them at number one? I don't have them in my... 
<laughs> three. What? Wow. I felt, well, first of all, Derrick Henry is, if not the best, he is a top two, top three running back in this league. No questions asked, right? But at the wide receiver position, you have either A.J. Brown or you have Julio Jones. I mean, take your pick. One of those guys. And I feel like that's as good as it gets. And then you've got Ryan Tannehill. And in my opinion, the Titans should be number one after they made that trade for Julio Jones. So I realize Tannehill is, you know, an above-average quarterback. You just talked about not elevating. You've elevated Tannehill above, like, the top, I don't know, 10 quarterbacks in the league. But I know you're going to go Rams, Lou. I know you're going to do that. I can't (laughs) put him in there. I can't do that. I mean, everything that I've said about Matthew Stafford on the previous shows basically goes out the window if I put the Rams in in that conversation. So give it to me. Are the Rams number one? No. Again, this is assuming that Aaron Rodgers plays. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and Devontae Adams, and I don't think it's really that close unless... You do like a Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey, which then that's better than anybody. But if you have to throw the running back in, Hilaire hasn't really, I mean, it was his first year. They didn't feature him a lot. So I would put them number two, three down. Is number two? Yeah. I would say the rot, if you're including the running back, if I could do a Mahomes. No, we're Hill, including the running back. Because, okay. I mean, that's well, the definition that, of a triplet. We're not going to go. go Travis Kelsey. Okay. And so then Mahomes, Alaire, and either Kelsey or Hill. I don't. Th- I think you can't go wrong with either one. And I would put them just behind Rodgers, Jones, and Adams. And then third, I mean, I was having a hard time really coming up with even a third and even this one I, I feel kind of weird about because eh, Chris Carson's the running back, but Wilson, Carson, and DK. Interesting, because my top three are completely different, completely different than yours. I mean, you bashed me putting the Titans at number one. I feel like the Chiefs should not even be in the top three, Luke. I mean, <laughs> they shouldn't even be here. They shouldn't even be a conversation because we're I talking mean about laugh, running backs. Come on, how, how could talking you Talking about not? running backs. You're elevating them because they've got Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill, and then you've got Patrick Mahomes. I mean, is Patrick Mahomes, like, gonna, is replacing well, two, that running two, back that you two have? Two out of the three are arguably the best at their position in the league. Yeah, if the running back's even above average, you got to put him in there. Oh, the Titans should definitely deserve to be number one on this list. Just because of, uh, I think, one, two, three. Okay, I understand. Henry and one of the two receivers, I got you. But throwing Tannehill into the mix just weighs that down. you got to come down the list, man. At number two, I put the Cleveland Browns, Lou. And this is another quarterback that you and I have bashed. Again, you're elevating court. You said you weren't going to elevate, and you're elevating the quarterback, the most important of the top of the three in this triplet, and that's the position you you chose to elevate. Nick Chubb, OBJ, or Jarvis Landry, and that's good enough for me. Baker... I mean, he's up there. And then I had the Rams at number three. Even though I bashed Matthew Stafford, but I do think Stafford, I think Cam Akers is going to be really good. And we saw glimpses of it in the playoffs. And then you have either, you know, Robert Woods or Cooper Cup. I mean, you can take your, uh, you know, whoever you like there. So that's my top three. And then I had to put the Bucks at number four just because, I mean, you have Tom Brady. You've got Godwin or Mike Evans. 
and then you've got Leonard Fournette. That's good enough for me. And then I have to put the Cowboys at five because you have Dak, you have Ezekiel Elliott still, and I'm hoping that he bounces back from a couple of subpar years for him. And then you've got either Amari Cooper or the ascending to second-year player, C.D. Lamb. So that's my top five. And my top five are completely different than yours. Because so the top three quarterbacks aren't, aren't even, don't even sniff your list. But you're elevating the quarterbacks. You know, I'm looking at the entire picture, and I'm actually elevating the rest of the triplets. Because on my list, obviously, I, you know, I elevated Ryan Tannehill and Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Again, I guess if you were st- if you were starting a team, would you say you'd take Tannehill, Henry, and Julio over, say, Rodgers, Jones, and Devontae Adams? Yes, absolutely, because I don't think Aaron Jones is a top 10 running back in this league. I Go believe ahead. he is, and and you know that I think Devontae Adams is at the top of the list as far as receivers go, production, uh, consistency, just the ability to get open and just and then he's got he's got Rogers. So it all the the three kind of you know putting them all together makes it I don't know. I mean it's how can you leave them off? And then Mahomes and his crew. I mean, you're elevating. Well, you have to. That's the league we play in. That's the most important of the three. You have to agree with that, right? You can't say that Clyde Edwards-Elair is nowhere to be found on the top 20 running backs at this point. Maybe he proves me wrong. He had a couple of good games. But at this point, it's basically a projection. Is he going to become one of the better running backs in the league? We don't know. And you're basically elevating because you've got two guys. So you have Mahomes, then you have Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey, and I've got Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, or A.J. Brown. They, they kind of cancel each other out. The only thing you're saying is the quarterback is, is more important for some reason in our little exercise here for the tribe. Be- well, I believe it is. And I believe the wide receiver is even more important. I think we've, we've learned watching the games that, yeah, you have to be able to run the ball some. You don't have to be a great running team to win in this league. So that's kind of the way I looked at it. If I was putting the team together, how does each of these guys complement the other? Which group of the three is the best? I, mean, I don't think it's any. there's any question that it's Rodgers, Jones, and Adams. Is those are the, the best three combined. And then it could arguably be Mahomes, Allaire, and Hill, or Kelsey, whichever one. But that's why we do this, okay? We can't always agree. The, the top three that you had, I didn't even have them in the top five. I know. That's, that's, you that's, know? that's shocking. And that, again, proves that we don't compare notes before the show. And hopefully that uh, you know, makes it a little bit more entertaining and a little bit, you know, a little bit more diverse, quite frankly. But uh, I'd love, you know, honestly, I'd love to get some feedback from uh, people that listen to the show because I, God, I got to believe most of them are going to have the Rogers crew and the Mahomes crew in the top five at least. I don't think Aaron Jones is a top 10 running back in this league, and the Kansas City Chiefs don't have a viable option at running back at this point. And by the way, I had the Packers at 6, and I had the Chiefs at 7, just for the sake of it. I, I wanted to extend my yeah. list, but that's true. I did not have them on my top 3 or my top 5. Just insult to injury. Okay, well, this, this debate will go on through the summer. I, I guarantee you. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm bringing hard facts statistics, 
And I think if you look at the statistics, though, at least from that perspective, it will bear out here. Cowboys on hard knocks. Are we ready for this? I mean, is this really a thing this year? I mean, Dax got his contract. I mean, what's the appeal to having the Cowboys other than Jerry Jones flexing his muscles uh, with the entertainment angle and just trying to get more pub for Dallas? I mean, I would have thought, I mean, hell, Jacksonville would have been very interesting, I think. You know, Urban Meyer, first-time head coach. You got Tebow. You got all this. Trevor Lawrence, the first pick. Maybe they didn't want it, but... I think that would have been a lot more interesting, don't you? The Jets would have been interesting. Yeah. I think, you know, New York, I mean, that's a possibility out there. But it's Jerry being Jerry. We're all in Jerry's world out here. And they did the first hard knocks ever, right? I mean, they were the first to appear on HBO. Am I correct about this? I mean, this goes back a long time. I don't think it was the Cowboys first. You're going to have to get on that uh, that research crew again. I thought the Cowboys were the first to be featured on Hard Knocks because they were America's team, and that was the draw, and Jerry was all over it. Maybe it was the Ravens. Let, let's get to our uh, stats guy, our research guy out there as I, I ramble on, and he gives us the feedback into our headphones out here. Look, you've got C.D. Lamb. You've got Amari Cooper. You've got Ezekiel Elliott. Dak is coming back from an injury. You've got, you know, Mike McCarthy in his second year, knowing that if he fails and doesn't get into the playoffs, I mean, he's going to get fired. They have a new defensive coordinator. So I do think there's there's this draw out here. I'm sure Micah Parsons is going to get featured, the, the rookie linebacker from Penn State that they drafted in the first round. I'm sure he's going to be, like, the, the top story out there. People still root for the Dallas Cowboys. There's so well, many Cowboys they fans do, but out aren't there. We, Carolina would have been more interesting. Detroit would, I mean, just because they're terrible, but with all the publicity that that the head coach Campbell is getting and all the, the, the sound bites from, from his uh, press conferences are amazing. And the guy's like crazy like a fox. You know, I, I think he knows this all sounds ridiculous, but it's bringing some shine to him versus the players. That would have been a compelling story, I think. But the Cowboys, okay, we know who they are. But yeah, I guess my brain does work sometimes. The very first season, it was the Ravens. And then second, the second year was Dallas. It went away for like five years, and uh, I think it was the Herm Edwards Chiefs, then the Cowboys again. Jeez, how many? I mean, it's like every every year the Cowboys, the Cowboys, the Cowboys. Bengals in 2009, the Jets in 2010, 2011. They did something called a decade of NFL training camp. So I don't know if that was just kind of like a mishmash. Uh, the Dolphins in 12, Bengals in 13. Falcons 14, Texans 15, the Rams in 16, Bucks in 17, Browns in 18, Raiders 19, of course, that was the classic one. Rams Chargers last year, and of course, the Cowboys again. This is the third time that the Cowboys are on hard knocks. So Jerry is appearing in each decade. He's trying to make, you know, an appearance of the Cowboys on this show. Do you think this show has already run its course? Do you think they should just... You know, shut it down and then call it quits. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's it it it's kind of interesting. It can't. I guess it can get redundant. I mean, the way they lay it out. But it, I mean, I guess if you're really into the nuts and bolts of you know building a team, and even that is kind of lost a little bit because it seems like by the time you get to training camp, 
the teams kind of know who they're going to keep for the most part. But then there's always that story or some guy that kind of comes out of nowhere. And, you know, so there's a lot of compelling things to it. The, the behind the scenes with the coaches, some of the off-the-cuff comments. I mean, I remember when uh, when it was the Browns, it was like Haley's just a, a walking soundbite to begin with. But Todd Haley was, you know, voicing his displeasure with the head coach, and they caught it all. And they actually showed it. They didn't cut it from it. You know, so to me it's interesting. But, I'm, you know, I've got different different things kind of float my boat, and that, that's one of those things that, uh, that does. So I, I like it. I'm a huge football guy, Lou, but I've grown tired of this show, and I'm certainly not going to be tuning in just because the Cowboys are on it a third time. But, but again, if it was like Jacksonville or Detroit, you'd probably at least watch the first episode to see if it was worth sticking with, right? I'm with you. I think the Jaguars w- would have been an intriguing story because Urban Meyer is making the transition from Meyer, Tebow, Trevor Lawrence, come on. Yeah, it would have been cool, but I just think Jacksonville probably doesn't want any part of it. Right, and I don't think Meyer would be like the he would they would have to you know the owner would have to order him to do it I believe, and I don't think that's the relationship they have. Urban's not going to do that. So you know what I'm saying? I mean, you must be one happy guy right now because the Italians are in the final of the Euro 2020. Yes, it was it was a very harrowing experience yesterday afternoon. We're recording here on uh, you know Wednesday the seventh. Uh, the game was played on Tuesday. England and Denmark playing about an hour and a half or two. Yeah, it was just one of those games. Italy had kind of, you know, they, they changed. We've talked about this as we've gone. They kind of changed their style, how they have a little bit more of an attacking style, whereas for years, like many years, 50, 60, 70 years, it's always been this thing. You defend, counterattack, defend, counterattack. You know, where now they've been a lot more aggressive, playing more on the other on the other side of the, the 50, if you would, you know, against teams, trying to force them to make mistakes. And Spain kind of took them out of that. The injury to Spinazzola, who was kind of the, the, the overlapping left back, a lot of speed on that kid, really opened things up for everybody. Again, Spain being Spain, they, they play keep away. That's, just, that's the way they've played forever. And they probably had the ball for 70% of the time. They dominated the first half. I mean, they could not capitalize. But by the end, I was almost as exhausted as the players. I mean, guys were, you know, cramping up. It was, yeah, then it came to penalties. So, yeah, I am happy, but it was a, a tough ex- tough afternoon for me. Well, in overtime, it was just contrasting styles because the Spanish side was trying to finish the Italians off. And they right. continued to attack. And the Italians were tired, and they were de- just defending out there. And... It looked like the the Spanish team was trying to do what it did earlier, I think in the round of 16, once they were forced into overtime and then they they scored two goals uh, in that exciting 5-3 victory. They didn't want to go to penalty kicks because they've already been there and they won. So they kind of knew what maybe the outcome would be. So I can attest to this. I mean, Spain was just attacking in overtime, trying to get that goal. And the Italians were having none of it. I mean, they were just backing up. They were tired. And I told you that I felt like it was going to go to penalty kicks and Italy was going to win. I mean, my prediction came true. But I'm sure you held your breath when the first penalty kick by the Italians 
was saved by this Spanish goalkeeper. Yeah, well, the whole time because I'm thinking, okay, all the and now obviously penalties is much different than you know scoring goals during during regular play. All their strikers, all their their goal scorers, they were all substituted for because they were so gassed from playing playing the first whatever ninety minutes, and then some. Chiesa played almost 120 minutes, and he looked like he was going to die. Yeah, the, the second half, they yet they were holding on for dear life, and it was just thank God that Spain didn't put put one away because they had opportunities. And then I, I had been texting with a friend of mine who's like the whole time been like just really bashing this Morata guy that played for Chelsea. He watches a lot of EPL, so so he was really bashing the guy. Of course, he made the big play. They kind of went right through the middle of the Italian defense to get the tying goal and make it one-to-one. And then, sure enough, he blows his penalties. They're two best players. Olmo and Morata both missed their penalties. And Morata is an enigma a little bit. When he is on, he is on. I mean, he can be really good. He can score... Goals and bunches, and he does this. You know, he did this in Spain before. He does this in the English Premier League. But when he is off, he is off, and he just looked like either he was tense or he was uninterested in it. When he went up there, it just looked like he was going to miss it. He he didn't have the confidence that he can strike it and with the ball winding up in the net, and it just. Yeah, and that was the worst penalty kick that I've seen in a while. Although I have to say that I'll. I'll stop referencing the Roberto Baggio missing that penalty. <laughs> but you just did. No, because I'm going to reference Almo now. You know, Almo had one of those penalty kicks that I haven't seen in a while. I mean, he just missed badly by about. He went about what ten yard ten yards over the the, the crossbar, and it was yeah, just that was ridiculous. So now when we reference the penalty kicks miss, you know, way from the goal, I'll reference Almo and not Bobby. <laughs> well, they did plenty of times on the telecast yesterday because they just kept talking about, you know, I guess the, the kind of like uh, Spain's golden run of, you know, Euro win, World Cup win, Euro win, back to back to back. And, like, you know, Italy had a chance, but, of course, Baggio, their best player, <laughs> didn't quite get it done. But, yeah, it should be interesting to see who wins the second game. I mean, Denmark has been a great story. You know, Ericsson going down their first game, almost dying. Even though they that has brought attention to them, the way they've kind of come together, but they're pretty damn good. So I don't think it's going to, even though England's playing basically a home game, I don't think it's going to, it's going to be a tight one. I think Denmark's got a real shot. So my heart is with Denmark just because of everything that you talked about. I mean, the, everything that they've been through as a team and the way they've come together in the past like three or four games, and they played really well. They don't have a star because I think that star was the Eriksson. Now he's not out there. But they play as a team. They have an entertaining style of soccer. They score a lot of goals. They get a lot of shots on goal. But I do think my head says, you know, even though I'm rooting for Denmark, that England is going to win, that England will finally advance and, and play the Italians in the final. Well, everything, everything, I guess, kind of is pointing in that direction, right? I mean, they're playing at home. They're playing really well on top of that. Kane has kind of gotten off the schneid, so he's kind of their their big goal scorer. So he's been scoring the last couple of games. Sterling making great making great plays, you know, on and off the ball. So 
And England was criticized, you know, throughout, you know, the group stage. They were criticized for being too conservative. But right now, Lou, they're peaking at the right yeah. moment. Yeah, well, I just hope, you know, Italy's got enough left in the tank to play on something because they, you just could tell. I mean, they just looked like a team that they were not going to score an extra time. I was just convinced. They had a couple of chances, but with their, you know, the reserves that came in, you know, obviously fresh legs, got some opportunities, but couldn't quite finish the deal. And the goalie came up big on a couple of stops, and the defensive players made some saves as well because Spain probably should have scored. But Forza Zuri. Yeah, for those of you keeping score at home, that's just an Italian cheer. All right, so the NBA Finals started last night. Milwaukee and Phoenix. We talked a little bit off air. Phoenix not really expected to get this far. You know, they were uh, hot last year coming down the stretch they won their eight games in the bubble but again you know competition wise I don't know those teams that they were playing were very interested but they were kind of missing that that leader that the guy that's going to be the glue and they got the absolute perfect guy to come there and be that and Chris Paul has been nothing short of tremendous this may be his best run of games in his career and he's 16 years in it didn't look good that first was the first or second game against the Lakers where he hurt his shoulder and then he came back in that series and has been lights out since so uh, kudos to to the Phoenix front office for putting that team together Milwaukee favorite I would say in the east I mean Brooklyn you know would, but so many injuries during playoff runs on, on both sides I mean no Kyrie and then Harden was playing on one leg, basically. So injuries have, have made the huge difference in this entire playoffs. I mean, even Phoenix. I mean, they, AD went out against the Lakers. Denver, they played Denver without Jamal Murray, which, you know, had been out for a while. But then the Clippers, no Kawhi Leonard. But still, watching this team play, you can see they play for one another. They share the ball. It's I love watching them play. I, I think they're going to win the series. Uh, they won last night. Alex, as far as Milwaukee goes, Giannis did play. But you know, how do you see them you know, kind of getting their their legs under them in this in this series, or do you think this is Phoenix's to win? I'm going to go with the Suns. You know, I'm pulling for the Suns. My heart says, you know, Phoenix is going to win. My head says Phoenix is going to win because the combination of Chris Ball and Devin Booker, that's really lethal. And with Giannis not being 100%, and he isn't, he, he's the best player in the league, arguably, but he's not 100% coming into this finals. So something that Charles Barkley wasn't able to do in 1993 when he faced off against the Chicago Bulls. You know, he wasn't able to lead them to a championship. I think CP3, another veteran, he's been in the league for 16 years. He's been with like five different teams. This is his first year in Phoenix, and I'm just, I'm so happy for him. You know, this couldn't happen to a better guy if he gets that championship and leads this young group to their championship in 2021 because Devin Booker is young and then they've got a center, you know, from Arizona. I mean, he's a young guy as well. So I, I love watching this Phoenix team as well and I, I'm going with them. I think they're going to pull out this series. Well, the best part of it for Paul is he was not some veteran kind of team shopping 
to get a ring. He's actually the reason they're at this point, and he will be the reason that they win if they go ahead and win this series because uh, he doesn't turn it over. He gets everybody involved. His mid-range game has been lights out this, this whole playoffs for the most part. He's one of those guys. Like Everybody likes Andy Reid, it seems like, in the NFL, except for Le'Veon Bell. And everybody seems to appreciate and respect Chris Paul. He is kind of a kind of an acquired taste. He's one of these in-your-face leaders, gets you, get you to do the right thing and so forth. But if you kind of follow his lead, you know, good things are going to happen. Now, for some of the, I guess, older or his, historical buffs, these teams actually had a little bit of a of a history going way back to when I don't know if they were both expansion teams, but anyway, in 1969 there was a coin flip for the first pick in the NBA draft, Milwaukee and Phoenix. Milwaukee wins the coin toss and they draft a guy from UCLA by the name of Lou Alcindor, who later becomes Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and within two years, they won their only NBA championship. And again, nothing against the second pick. Neil Walk was a great player at Florida, was a decent player in the NBA, but nothing but a journeyman at, you know, for, at best. But could you imagine if that coin flip goes the other way? Would we be talking about Phoenix having that championship? Would they have traded him to the Lakers? So, I mean, a lot of NBA history came down to a coin flip. Thank you for that history lesson, Lou. I, I have no idea. That's why I'm here, Alex. I have, to, I have to flex my old man muscles every so often, and that, that was my contribution this week. That is going to do it. Thanks again to our, de- our guest, Daniel Smith, quarterback, the magic man, the magician from Villanova. Alex, as always, gang, thanks for listening. Until next week, we're out of here. Peace.